So if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. So Matthew chapter 7, uh, reading verses 13 through, uh, through 23. So hear the word of the Lord. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road that is, is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are there ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. And a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, pray together. Father, I just think that if we're all kind of like um, honest with what's probably going on in our emotional world right now, we're, we're um, even almost fearful to say thanks be to God for this word because it's a hard word to kind of hear. And so I'm just... Um, asking that you would continue to bring us clarity of, of what it is you're trying to say here, God. Um, wake up those who are maybe hard-hearted here, that are here this morning, stir something in them. And then may this passage be an encouragement to those that have a, just a real soft heart towards you. And uh, may they not hear this in a way that's damaging for them, God. So, um, so yeah, God, we, we need your help. I need your help. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this week when Kathy and I were uh, talking at breakfast sometimes, she asked me, like, what, what's kind of the passage of Scripture? What, what, are we, what are we going for this coming week? And so I told her what the passage of Scripture was, and um, her response was, wow. <laughs> And, um, and I think that's kind of an appropriate response. You know, like, if you're really hearing what's going on here, uh, it, it's kind of disturbing a little bit. There's a little bit of like, oh, what, what's going on here? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little confused, and not just confused, I'm a little concerned about what's being said here. It kind of freaks me out. And so before we, we um, kind of dive in as best we can to understand what Jesus is trying to say here, I think it's good for us to kind of, I want to read a quote that is a way for us to um, sort of frame our minds and our hearts. It's kind of like the umbrella we're going to sit under as we deal with a really hard text and allow this hard text to kind of have its way in our life. And hopefully for some of us in this room, it, it may really uh, kind of disturb us and shake us a little bit because I think in part that's what Jesus wants to do. He, he wants to kind of wake you up. So here's the sort of the framework or got, uh, umbrella we're kind of 
sitting under today, and it's on the screen. This gospel, this good news of what God has done in and through Christ, and if you're a Christian here, you've received this gospel. So this gospel is not about something you do. You've heard me say that 100 million times up here. If you're new here, this is probably the first time you've heard it. If you keep coming, you'll hear me say this over and over, all right? The gospel is not about something you do, but about what has been done for us by God in and through Jesus Christ. And yet, the gospel results in a whole new way of life. True gospel belief, that's not supposed to be believe. We'll make that correction in the eleven. True gospel belief will always and necessarily lead to good works. But, and here's the big but, salvation in no way comes through or because of good works. That's the kind of framework we're going to operate under and within. That's sort of the umbrella that we're kind of diving into to understand this passage of Scripture. All right? So that's... That's where we're starting. And so when we hear this passage, it's, um, it's, it's just really shocking because here is a group of people who um, said Jesus is Lord, sort of made their sacred confession. They performed some really amazing acts in the name of Jesus. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if you caught that. I, I'll read verse 22 again. Like, I haven't done these things. This is pretty phenomenal. And on that minute, day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy or preach? I guess in part, that's what I'm doing right now, preaching in the name of Jesus. Didn't we drive out demons in the name of Jesus? Like, that's, that's good work. That's godly work, right? It's like no one's going to go, you're driving out demons. That's demonic. You Satan worshipers, right? No one's like saying that, right? It's, didn't we do many miracles in your name? So here's a, a group of people who are p- performing powerful deeds in the name of Jesus, and they're getting magnificent results that validates that they're doing these de- deeds in the name of Jesus. But at the end, at judgment, Jesus says to them, I don't know who you are. I have no idea who you are. Get away from me. I I think that's probably the most haunting words that any of us in this room can feel or hear ever. So what in the world is going on here? How do we kind of unpack this passage in a way that doesn't create anxiety? Right? Right? It's like, didn't Jesus, a few, cha- few verses up, you know, a chapter four, not to be anxious, right? There's enough worries for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Well, judgment is tomorrow, right? It's kind of ahead of us. I don't know if it's coming today. We always think it's, like, this creates some anxiety. This creates some worry. How can we look at this passage of Scripture and not um, dive into this unhealthy introspection and, and kind of create unhealthy doubts that Jesus is not wanting to create and those who are really soft-hearted toward the things of Jesus. 
to where we begin to think, well, maybe when I was 15, that really didn't count. I don't know. Maybe I didn't know what I was doing. I know I prayed the prayer. I know I got baptized, but I'm real, really rethinking all of that. Maybe that was just not the real deal, especially in light of what he's saying here. I don't want to show up at judgment, and Jesus says, get away from me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure it's for real. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it again, right? It's that, like, there's not much laughter there. So I'm just like, I don't think that's what Jesus wants here. So what is he after? Well, I think you've got, to, um, you've got to understand warnings in light of the Bible and what the Bible teaches us about warnings. So here, I'll give you a couple examples. So if you would come up on a trail, right, so if you're walking a trail in Cherokee or somewhere, you know, at the gorge, whatever, and you see this warning sign that says, warning, right, bridge out. If you really see that, and the only way that you can get to your destination is going this way, like, and the, and the bridge is out, what, what is, what's the aim of that warning? The aim of that warning for most people, right? I get there's some unique individuals that will see that warning and say, ah, we can do it, right? Most people would see that warning and understand that the aim of that is to cause you to stop and turn around and not keep going forward. Find another way to get your destination, so to speak. Do not continue down this path. Stop. Turn around and go in a different direction. That is not the aim of warnings in this passage of Scripture. That's not what Jesus is after. He's not wanting you to stop and not continue on. He doesn't want you to kind of have this paralyzation of anxiety and fear here because of what he's saying here. Here's more of what's in light of this in this area of warning. It's like this. If you would come up on a sign that says, Fall, warning, falling rock ahead, the aim of that is way different than bridge out. The aim of hearing the warning falling rocks ahead is that I'm going to continue down this path aware, right? Walking kind of um, discerningly, right? Aware that this is a possibility. I'm going to kind of be on the watch out. But I'm taking this warning and heeding this because the aim is to get me to my destination. The aim is to get me to where I want to get to. And so this warning, falling rocks ahead, is to kind of help me get there. It's giving me kind of a heads up of what to look for as I continue down this path. Whereas the warning before, beware, bridge out, is to stop you from going down this path anymore. Because if you continue down, you're done, right? This warning has a different intent and an aim. It's to help you get through your destination. It's to help you have endurance and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here at the end of his sermon on the mount he gives us these three metaphors these kind of images and and at the heart of what he's wanting to do here is he's wanting you to respond and in these three images are are warnings they're warnings that he wants us to hear and to heed so that we can continue to travel down this path aware of of some of the dangers here in order to get us to the end God wants us to endure God wants us to make it to the end he doesn't just want us to start well he wants to finish well and he's giving us some warnings here that we need to be aware of so that we can make it to our destination and so these three images and metaphors we're gonna look at two of them today and we'll look at one of them 
Next week, one is the two roads we just read. The other one is this kind of like false prophets and true prophets. But then in that, you've got these trees and fruit. But they're all kind of one image and metaphor that Jesus is after. And then the one that most of us or some of us are familiar with is the two houses. And we'll deal with the two houses coming next week. So I encourage you to come back as we kind of land the plane in the Sermon on the Mount. But I just want to look at these two warnings. The one with the road deal and the one with the prophets. And I want us to say, okay, what are the warnings here? What is... What is Jesus graciously making us aware of so that we can endure and make it to the end. So look at the first one here. Look at this uh, metaphor of these two ways or two roads that Jesus lays before us in verse 13. So the command is, enter through the narrow gate. And he gives us reasons why. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction and there are many who will go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. So just kind of, just for a few sakes, so there's two roads or some translations have two ways of living here. There's a kind of a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. There's a, uh, a, a, a you know, narrow road and a, and a broad road. One is difficult, one is easy. Uh, you know, the broad road, many people are traveling down this. The narrow road, there are few that find it. One road, the, the broad, easy road, leads to destruction and death. The other road that's narrow and, and difficult leads to life. So there's a, a massive contrast that's going on here. Now, what we have a tendency to do, if you're like me, is we have a tendency to interpret this passage by thinking um, those that are on the wide, broad road that's leading to destruction are all those that are just massively immoral. They're the ones that are just against God, don't want to have anything to do with God. You know, they're you know, just living life however they want to. So the, so the picture would be like, just imagine the Kentucky Derby infield, right? That's the broad, wide, easy road people, right? And so the other way we look at then the narrow road are all those that are Christians who are following after God, or showing up at church, doing good things, serving one another, being kind, compassionate. That's the narrow road people. So the image I would give you there is the, is the church that volunteers to show up the day after Kentucky Derby and clean up the mess that goes on in the infield for free, right? That's the narrow road people. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Yes, yes, there is a way of living of immorality and just living like however you want to that leads into destruction but that is not who Jesus has in mind when he's talking about this and how do I know that it's context so the narrow and the broad road the people that are on the narrow road and the broad road both of them know or feel like they're leading a life that's going to lead to life they're not thinking, oh, this road is going to destroy me. No, no, they both believe they're living in such a way that's going to, in the end, bring life. If you look at the, the metaphor of the false and true prophets, you can't tell the difference. They're both wearing what? Sheep's clothing. They look the same. You don't know they're different. You go to the two houses, what do you see? Both, we'll see this next week, getting ahead of myself, but both houses look the same. There's nothing on the outside that looks any different. Look, the, the group of people that are standing before God at Judgment Day, what are they crying out? 
They're not crying out, I love Satan, I love Satan. They're saying, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do these things in the name of Jesus? So look, guys, look, Jesus does not have in mind the group of people who have chosen to go eat brunch at Wild Eggs this morning. Jesus doesn't have in mind the people that have chosen, hey, you know what, man, we got to get a, a round of golf in this morning. It's going to rain this afternoon, so let's go for it, right? Jesus doesn't have in mind the people that have decided, hey, you know what, I want to go do a, a trail run. Let's go to Turkey Run this morning and do a trail run. Let's, let's go do like a, a mountain bike deal over at Cherokee or whatever. That's not who Jesus has in mind. Who does Jesus have in mind? You all, me. Every one of us that got up this morning and were here, just because you rolled into church at 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus saying does not necessarily mean you're narrow road people. There's a way that you can live a godly, moral life and be on the wide road that leads to destruction. Just because you do good things and kind things and you sort of said a prayer and maybe you were baptized does not necessarily mean you're on the narrow road. That's what Jesus has in mind here. Us in this room. One New Testament scholar puts it like this. That's why this passage is troubling and can shake us to our core. And we need to hear this, guys. Especially, especially in our culture that we live in that's so over church. I'm talking about right here in our culture. This is a message that every single one of us in this room need to hear. One New Testament scholar puts it this way. The wide and easy way that leads to destruction is precisely what Jesus has been describing all along as living with merely external righteousness. While the narrow and difficult way is the vision he casts for righteousness that is more and deeper than behavior. So look, the warning here that I think we need to think on and reflect on. I just want to give you a heads up. I don't, I don't have a nice way of like landing the plane today. It's not going to be a nice little bow on top and everybody's going to walk out of here feeling really great about themselves. Like I want that. But this has been hard for me this week. And I think part of the application here that Jesus wants is he wants you to go home thinking on this. I mean, if you look at how Jesus taught all throughout the New Testament, he doesn't wrap things up really nicely for people. He sometimes leaves people with a question and says, you know what? You need to go home and think about this and reflect on this. So I think the warning here for us, I think there's a few, but here's one. I, I'm at it. That's this. We need to be careful with comfortableness. Are you comfortable? Now, please hear me. Don't. Don't take me and hear me say something that's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this, that if your life isn't full of difficulty and struggle all the time, then you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not also saying, nor do I think Jesus is saying that the godly way is the hardest way, right? Sometimes we have that when we make a decision. What's the hardest thing to do? So I've got, no, I, 
No, there's other wisdom without in Scripture. You know what I'm saying? So that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this because I think it's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Like when we come to faith in Christ, we are in Jesus. We are disciples of His. And He is shaping and forming us to live in the way of Jesus. Not to earn favor with God. Not to get in a right relationship with God. Not to get to God to love us more. All of that is secure and safe because God fully loves His Son, Jesus, and we're in Him. But when the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us, He is teaching and shaping and molding us to live in the way of Jesus. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. How do I live in this way? And I'm here to tell you, and Jesus is here to tell you, it's hard. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. Look, and, and I think that there's a stream of this all through, and you'll see this here in just a minute. It's easy to fake it. I can, it's easy for me to show outward affections of love to someone that has hurt me, right? That's easy. But extending mercy and compassion and forgiveness to someone that has really wounded me? It's hard. It's difficult. It's not an easy road. And I think what Jesus is putting before us, it's almost like saying, hey, put a mirror in your life. Be careful. If you find yourself really comfortable, be careful because you could possibly be on a road that you don't think you're on. And Jesus is graciously coming to you with that warning. That's one. The second one, look at this. And they're all very similar, all right? And I'm I'm not trying to be way too intense here at all. I'm really not. I'm trying to hold back a little bit because I want you to hear this, man. It's, it's been difficult for me. But look what he says here, starting in verse 15. So this is the second kind of like warning, metaphor, image that he's given to us. So be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. And so in this time, a prophet would be um, you know, someone that would basically speak the words of God. Thus saith the Lord is kind of what a prophet would be. It'd be similar to what I do, right? It's like, oh my, you're talking about me, right? It is kind of like what I do. And notice here, and I said this earlier, but it's good for us to see it again, that externally you can't see a difference. They look like a true prophet by their their outward actions, by what they're saying, by their message, everything from what we can see from an external perspective, they look like a true prophet. They have sheep's clothing. So how in the world, thou, how in the world, Jesus, are we to recognize them? How can we know who is true and who is false? Look what he says here in verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. We get all that, right? We understand what he's saying there. 
uses a lot of words to get there, but we understand what he's saying. Verse 19, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And here's the, 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 the repeat of how we recognize them. Verse 20, so you will recognize them by their fruit. So in essence, the only way that we can recognize who is a true prophet or a false prophet is not by what they're doing. Not by how well they preach. Not by their, their productivity. Not by their, their Christian activity. Not by what they're doing, but who they are becoming. What is their, their fruit? What is their way of being? Not, not how are they doing, and I know this is kind of a weird question to say this, but, but it is what Jesus is wanting us to look at. How they're being. Don't look at just their activity or even the success of their activity who are they? Who, who are they being? That's what we're after in fruit. And just in case we, we don't know exactly the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about, he gives us a real clear understanding that this is, I'm not talking about this kind of fruit. I'm talking about something that's internal. All right, so he gives us this, this thing in verse 22 that we've already read there. On the day that many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in name that's not a different section that's all one here he's talking about the false and true prophets that's all one little section here and so when you look at this to me that looks like fruit that looks like god's being glorified the kingdom is advancing i mean preaching in your name driving out demons doing many miracles all in the name of Jesus, and they're successful, right? It's like, I don't know, maybe I'm really shallow, but I'm willing to embrace that. When I look at that on the surface, I'm going, man, that's really fruitful. God's with that team. God's with that church. God has anointed that leader. God's doing a great work to that person because all of that looks like fruit. And Jesus is saying, that's not the fruit I'm looking for. Because look, look, yes, this is all impressive work, but where in the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus command these impressive works? Are they a part of the ministry of God? Yes. I'm not saying it's not. We'll get to those. We'll see all these miracles that Jesus does. But follow me here. None of these show up in this sermon. Not one impressive act shows up in this sermon. Instead, the fruit that Jesus commands is making in us this reality of who we're becoming. This, this reality to where we, we give reverence to the words of God. That we, we are casting out our own anger. We are, you know, uh, the miracle of where we, we, we live in sexual purity and marital faithfulness where we're careful with our speech and, and what we say about God and with our vows. There, there's hearts that are extended toward others with mercy and grace and compassion, not to those who love us, but to those who persecute us and who are enemies. That's the fruit that Jesus is after in the sermon. These are the miracles or the fruit Jesus commends as the will of the Father, and these are the miracles he misses in these charismatic wonders. So look, guys, look. Who are you? When you're alone and no one's looking and watching, who are you? When you get stressed, 
when you get pressed out on all sides, what is coming out? That's the fruit that he's talking about. I mean, follow me here. Sometimes we have a tendency when we read this passage to kind of dismiss ourselves or just kind of put it in italics because you're not a prophet. You know, I'm not a prophet. I'm not leading any massive ministries. I'm not a pastor at a church. I'm not preaching. So let's skip down to the two houses. This has nothing to do with me. I would say it does. It has a lot to do with you. And this is where I think it has a lot to do with us, and that is this. God, through His Son Jesus, is trying to help us see that motives matter. Your heart matters. Why you do things matter. That you can do all the right things, have all this right, godly, Christian activity, quote-unquote, but do it all for the wrong reasons and be in a really dangerous spot. Now, where in the world do you get this, Lyle? Well, look at verse 23. What does he say there? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. What? What does he say? You what? How is preaching in the name of Jesus breaking the law? How is <laughs> casting out a demon breaking the law of God? How is healing someone who is sick or in some debilitating disease in the name of Jesus, breaking the law of God. Tim Keller shares a story that I think helps us understand what Jesus means here. He tells a story about this gardener who grew this enormous carrot, which is kind of humorous. To, I have no idea where he got this. Like, what imagination, right? Um, so he grew this enormous carrot and took it to his king, and he said this, my Lord, man, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown and ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And so the king was touched and discerned the man's heart. And as the gardener turned away to leave the king, the king said this, Wait, wait, hang on, buddy. You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I, I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you and freely as a gift. And, and you can garden it and do what you want to with that. And the gardener left amazed delighted he went home rejoicing wow that's awesome and then there was another guy a nobleman that's in the king's court that overheard this whole conversation and he thought to himself wow if that's what he got for a carrot what would happen if i gave him something bigger and better and so this nobleman next day came to the king was leading in a big old nice handsome black stallion right big beautiful horse and he said this to the king, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred and ever will be. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king discerned the nobleman's heart, said thank you, took the horse, and just dismissed him. The nobleman stood there kind of perplexed, a little confused, because he didn't get the same treatment that the other guy got. And so the king said this, and I think it's on the screen. Let me explain that Gardner was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. The Lord Lord group did powerful deeds in the name of Jesus, but they did it for themselves. Read back in Matthew chapter 6 where they prayed 
and fasted and gave alms, which are wonderful, good Christian things that we should do. But all of them did that all in the name of God, but they did it in order to be seen by people. So all their works were done in God's name, but they weren't for God. That's why Jesus calls them lawbreakers. The warning here is your motives matter. Your heart matters. It's what God sees and what He cares about. Now please hear me, I'm not, I'm not saying that what Jesus is saying here, that we've got to get to a place where everything that we do for God has 100% pure motives. That's impossible. That ain't happening. Excuse my language there, ain't. So don't come and correct my English, I, I get that. And I've heard guys, and they'll stand before an audience and, and talk about like their their pure motives of what they're bringing to people. I have no desire for the praise of man, blah, 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 blah. This is all done 100% for the glory of God. And whenever I hear that, red flags go in my head because that's an individual who is lacking self-awareness because no one other than Jesus does anything with 100% pure motives. But what Jesus is trying to help us see that sometimes we have a tendency to downplay and dismiss. Your heart matters. The reasons why you do things matter. The motives behind those matter. And it's, it's at those places that God wants to do His work. He's not after behavior modification. He's just not after you being externally a good person. That's not what God wants. He doesn't just want you to socially behave rightly and think, man, I'm really satisfied and happy about that. No, He is after the very core of your being. He wants the whole person. I'll give you an illustration of this and we'll close here. Some of this is, you know, honestly a little shameful, but I'm just trying to show you how I've wrestled with this a little bit this week. So a few months ago, I had an individual come up to me and, and just share a few things about my sermon that they didn't like. And so, like in that moment, you know, it's always kind of hard to hear that, but in that moment, you know, I want to I receive that. I get it, man. I'm definitely not saying everything I say here is right on, you know, and I invite push back and dialogue I want that so so I'm listening and and and, and responding and, and trying to be more curious and in places where I felt like I needed to apologize I apologize and if someone would you know come alongside and and watch that conversation I think this individual would look at my behavior and say yeah that's exactly how a Christian should behave that's exactly how someone should outwardly act and respond to someone that's giving kind of critique or pushback on something that was said. But inwardly, it was a different story. Inwardly, this is what's going on. Forget this. This isn't worth anything. Let's just forget this. You're going to 
You're going to pick one thing out of my message and miss the whole? What's the point? I'm done. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Coming to me, you have any idea how much work and how much time it takes to craft something? Do you not think that I haven't thought through all these different places where there might be some pushback? Who do you think you are? Have you ever written a term paper and presented to 500 people every single week? You ever done that? Let me show up at your work, spend an hour with you, and then critique your work. That's what's going on inside. That's what's happening here. And this is what Jesus is saying. That's where I want to do my work. Thank God you responded externally in a way that honors Jesus. He's not dismissing that. But he's going after what is going on in your interior world. God is saying, that's what I care about. That is what matters. That's the work that I want to continue to do in your life. Yes, awesome, you responded in the behavioral way that you're supposed to do. Anyone without Jesus could do that. But it takes Christ to come in here and do his work so that how I respond externally is also what's going on internally. That's what I mean by a whole person. He wants you integrated. Jesus is not after your productivity. He's not after primarily your Christian activity, no matter how successful it may feel and be. He's not just after you responding in an external way the right way you're supposed to respond to critique, pushback, wounds, whatever it is, fill in the blank. I think all of us can come up with an illustration that's similar to what I went through. He wants the whole person. It's easy to be flashy. It's easy to be productive. It's easy to get results. It's easy to look the part. But that's not what matters to God. He's after your heart. He's after your motives. He's after your whys. Your heart matters to him. He wants the whole person. That's the warning here. So if the first warning is, watch out. Be careful with being comfortable. The way that Jesus is empowering you to live is hard. It's a difficult road. But it leads to life. Watch out. Here's the warning. I'm not just after you looking good. I'm not just after you. Someone comes and says, oh, man, you did such a good job responding there. I got that. That's not what he's after. He wants the whole person. Motives matter. The why matters. What's going on in your heart is what God is after. Let's pray together.
So, Father, in the quietness here, I just pray that your spirit would just come. And may these warnings um, land on us in a, in a way that is helpful and not wounding and hurtful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.